ordinarily for trust purposes, your character of your income is maintained through the trust to the beneficiaries in ordinary circumstances. That's why, you know, resident, resident capital gain goes through. But if 99B applies, it's a complete hypothetical, complete deeming provision. So it's the only time in sort of trust law where the character of the income is changed under statute. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 407 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. Today, let's go back to foreign trusts. If you are new to foreign trusts and haven't listened to episode 399 and 400 with Andrew Henshaw yet, please go back and listen to these episodes since it will really help to follow this one. As you know, a trust is a resident trust if at least one of a trust's individual trustees is a resident or at least one of its corporate trustees has its CMC or CMAC in Australia. Now, of course, we are all aware of the fact that our residency rules are not straightforward. But for this episode, let's assume they are. Let's just assume that a trust clearly is either a resident or not a resident, that we don't have to worry about the intricacies of our residency rules. And so then instead, let's focus on what actually happens to the trust and its beneficiaries when the trust is either a foreign or resident trust. What are the actual implications of either being a resident or a foreign trust? And how is it taxed then when current and accumulated income is then distributed to resident or foreign beneficiaries? This is what Bradley Murphy and Darren Catherell of Murphy Tax in Sydney will discuss with you in this episode. And of course, this question will very quickly lead us to section 99B. So Bradley Murphy and Darren Catherell of Murphy Tax in Sydney will go through section 99B issues with you in this episode. Here they are. Yeah, 99B is a beast. You know, it's, you could spend a week and cut it up into, you know, small pieces and give everyone a snapshot of, you know, what it means. We get into, you know, the provision itself. Like, you're right, residency for trust is a non-starter because for 99.9% of trusts, it's the same. There's no difference between CGT residency and ordinary residency. It's only if you're a unit trust and you're holding on to land in Australia that it matters, really. So that's kind of, yeah, a non-starter. But the big issue for 99B is like that last question that you said. It's like, well, what happens if I just onboard the trust from being a foreign trust to a resident Australian trust? And sort of, you know, what are the things we need to consider? So what we were, I think what we were thinking about was, you know, some of the hallmarks of your first questions, you know, what's the provision? What are the carve outs? What does the applied for the benefit of? That's a pretty key sort of phrase. What do we see like in our day-to-day roles, New Zealand, US, UK type of examples, and then get on to that last sort of topic of, well, the legislator intended you to just onboard a foreign trust to escape 99B. What sort of um, headaches is that going to be causing people? So one is just getting into the provision itself to start, just like straight away, just say, listen, Division 6 is the taxation of trust income. It's all really designed to assess beneficiaries, but what happens 
when you encounter, you know, Section 99B, where it's receipt of trust income that's not previously subject to tax. Then we can run through the carve-outs, exclusions, the three big exclusions, and, you know, how you, importantly with the corpus one, the big one, how you can actually identify that and what you need to prove to the commissioner that exists. Then we can maybe just chat about some examples of how we see it play out in our practice and then... Section 99B was introduced after the High Court case of Union Fidelity, right? So that the High Court got together and said that Division 6 only applied to Australian sourced income. <laughs> so, so the legislature decided that that wasn't good enough. So they introduced Section 99B, right? Which at its heart deals with the trust income not previously subject to tax. Now, because Union Fidelity was all about foreign trusts, you know, the, the explanatory memorandum did explain that the purpose of the provision was to specifically look at foreign trusts making distributions to Australian resident beneficiaries. However, when you look at the words of the provision, it doesn't actually say that. It just says what it says, which no reference, you know, to foreign trusts. And I think even in some later cases, uh, one of the federal court justices, I think it was Hill, said he didn't really have a need to read it down at that point. So what we've got is we've got this absolute sledgehammer called 99B needed to crack a foreign trust income distribution problem. So that's it came, I think it was like in the 1970s it came out, so it's like quite some time ago. It causes pain both for us as tax lawyers and practitioners but also on the other side for, for the ATO. And I think too, just to add to that uh, great summary is that what it really is intended to capture is foreign income that accumulates when the trustee or beneficiary is not resident of Australia, but is paid out or applied to that beneficiary while they're an Australian tax resident. They're effectively, the Australian resident beneficiary is taxed on that foreign accumulated income. So it does need a lot of planning for people that are, you know, moving to Australia from overseas with foreign trusts or even Australian trusts, as we'll come to in a second. And it's a real catch-all provision, as Darren said. Yes. And when you say they move to Australia with a foreign trust, the trust might stay being foreign, but then becoming a resident then opens them up to Section 99B. Absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you've got foreign trust with foreign trustee, but an Australian resident, Beneficiary, that's really the the main way we see 99B in play. And we'll give some examples as we go on. And 99B is really about accumulated income, as you just said. If a foreign trust just distributes its income every year and pays it out, then it basically just runs through the normal channels and the income is assessed under Section 97 or 99, depending on whether the beneficiary is a resident or, or not. But it's really this accumulated income isn't it, that then is not income under Section 97 and hence gets captured by 99B. Yeah, exactly right. And there are some important exclusions or carve-outs from that rule, which we'll come to. And the, the big one being what is the corpus of the trust or effectively the capital of the trust, which is carved out from 99B. And yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a second to explain that in detail. You know, one of the quirks with this provision, and we'll just sort of go around the beneficiary becoming a resident for a minute. This applied for phrase that's in there, it says, has it been applied for their benefit? 
So that technically means that uh, someone who's not a resident could have something applied for their benefit in the foreign trust. So whilst completely outside of the Australian tax system, then come to Australia and then have another amount applied for their benefit. But the way that 99B ostensibly works, it may be able to capture all of the previous applications to that person, even though they weren't an actual resident at the time of the, you know, of the appointment of the income. Now we don't, uh, that's a very, very sort of strict reading of how the, the provision can work. And we've not really seen it play out in practice, you know, when we're challenged the ATO, but there's enough guidance out there to suggest that that could happen under the tax determinations that have been released. And the example would be a foreign trust that has $100,000 of income every year, doesn't distribute it, but assesses the trustee. And let's say it's in a country where the trustee pays very little income tax. I would think of Singapore, for example. Is Singapore a good example? Do they have trusts and is the trustee assessed there at a very low tax rate? Correct. Yeah, that's a that's a great point in terms of where we see it apply. I mean, you can really apply to to any country. Of course, we see it a lot with um, US four hundred one k plans, retirement plans, which we'll come to in a second. Uh, we see it a lot in New Zealand that doesn't have capital gains tax applied to their trusts, but also exactly right as well, Heidi. In a country like you know, Singapore or Hong Kong that has low corporate tax rates or trust tax rates in country then the trust itself has paid very little overseas tax. When that income is paid out to the Australian resident beneficiary, they're effectively taxed on you know, 47% on that income in Australia. And the other point too is that the real sort of um, sting in the tail with 99B is that there's no capital gains discount available or losses, capital losses applied at the trust level. So the income that comes out is all ordinary income in the hands of the Australian resident beneficiary. So, you know, you're almost worse off than you would be if you had um, an Australian trust where you at least get the um, capital gains discount to reduce the gain. But I think that's, that's right. And the other important point in your example would just be of that trust income and capital, you know, obviously the earnings component, the income component would be the accessible amount to the beneficiary, but trying to work out what's carved out from that corpus is important. You know, for example, if we had a trust that was funded by shares initially, so the, the trust itself acquired, let's say a million dollars of equities in, in Singapore or Hong Kong, and that trust has after that point earned $100,000 of dividends on that initial capital, the, the million dollars of initial shares should be carved out by way of corpus and not not taxable to the Australian beneficiary, but that income would be, of course. But it does get tricky trying to trace back to determine and work with the commissioner to work out what is corpus versus income. But this is where the yeah really important that the trust itself has really clear financial records of that initial capital amount, um, and the, the trustee also is documented accordingly to prove that. May I just quickly come back to my example because I love numbers. That's why I'm an accountant and not a lawyer. Yes. So let's say the uh, the trust was uh, very lucky and bought some Bitcoin or something for 10 cents, so basically for zero, and then for 10 years had $100,000 of income every year. We probably don't even have to worry whether it's ordinary income or capital capital gains, but just had $100,000 of income every year, didn't distribute it, but just assessed the trustee at basically a 0% tax rate. 
And so now the trust has $1 million sitting there. And the trust just has one trustee, an individual trustee. And actually, it doesn't even matter who the trustee is. I take that out. And then the beneficiary of this trust is in Australia and receives the $1 million paid out from this foreign trust. And they then have to pay 47% of tax on this $1 million because it's 99% B income, no CGT discount, can't apply capital losses, and so pays $470,000 of tax, including Medicare. Correct? That's the numbers we are looking at. Broadly, yeah. And if you sort of compared that with what Bradley was saying earlier around had you just had a resident Australian trust own exactly the same asset, then you've got an effective tax rate that's much lower you know, because of the long-term capital gains availability. If it was an um, Australian trust, you would pay capital gains tax on 500000 rather than a million dollars. Yeah, and you raise an interesting point. I think you mentioned, Heidi, as well, that one of the trustees was an Australian resident, potentially, which would mean that the trust itself is likely an Australian resident trust. Just the nature of the trust being where it is and what it owns, you know, it's likely that there is a fair amount of accumulation behind before the Australian resident beneficiary gets a distribution because a lot of these things are set up by parents or grandparents or, you know, for asset protection purposes that, you know, that sometimes the Australian resident beneficiary is completely unaware that there's even a trust that they're, <laughs> that they're under, you know. You know, the classic example is mum and dad uh, in New Zealand. They have two kids. One comes to Australia because they like the Australian lifestyle. The other one stays behind in New Zealand. Mum and dad, as part of their will, say, you know, once we're both gone, all the property we own goes into a family trust in New Zealand. And the kids are sad. Mum and dad have, you know, unfortunately passed away. So they decide to sell the assets and then got half the distribution goes to son number one tax-free in New Zealand and child number two, I shouldn't say son, so child number one, child number two in Australia gets thumped with a 45% tax bill. <laughs> and that only applies if the asset first goes into a trust or is in a trust and then comes out as a distribution. But if mum and dad had transferred the title, for example, in their in their investments directly to the child, then we wouldn't have 99B, correct? Well, this is an interesting point that you raise because in the past, that is one of the arguments that has been successful with the ATO for, on behalf of the Australian resident beneficiary to say, hey, listen, if I receive that asset in, in specie under the will, I'd get market value step up because it's coming inside the Australian tax net. So why am I being treated unfairly because 99B says I have to pay tax on exactly the same thing? Winning those sorts of arguments just shines a light on how complex this provision is and how uncertain, you know, even the government is in, in how to apply it, right? It, just to step away from 99B and just to uh, clarify the situation outside of a foreign trust, if, for example, the title to a house is transferred directly to the, from the parents to the child before their death as a gift or at the time of their death this as an you know estate distribution through their will. In that case, there is no foreign trust and there's no Section 99B, correct? Right. right. Good. So then that asset just enters the Australian tax system at market value and everything is quite straightforward. So the problem is really only in countries where you can have a trust because 
I would think quite a few countries in the world don't have this concept of a trust. So it's really only in countries where they have this concept of a trust and where a trust is set up and then the assets come out of this trust that you have this issue, correct? That's a good point. I guess the, the reach of this provision is why, because you look at the countries in play here, you know, that the US is definitely in play through vocable trust in the US and US retirement plans in particular is a, is a massive one. So effectively every US 401k or IRA retirement vehicle is a 99B foreign trust. As Darren mentioned, New Zealand is obviously really um, a large 99B player. The UK is also in play and Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, the sort of more tax-friendly countries also certainly in play. Countries that were in the Commonwealth are more likely to have a trust because it's, it's an it's an English concept. concept. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, it, it does apply though. We've seen it, yeah, and very, very widely applied to, to Canada, the US. Yeah, I think it's, its reach is basically, you know, very, very wide. Yeah, but all the countries you just listed have strong links with England. But if you if you step out of that, if you think of the rest of Europe or if you think of Asia that wasn't an English, a British colony or South America, I can imagine there are a lot of countries who don't have trust and hence don't have to worry about Section 99B, correct? We just think it's a big thing because we are in a Commonwealth country and we have close ties with other Commonwealth countries. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That comment. But, yeah. I mean, that's true. Like on that, it's sort of... On one level, but then, you know, it does reach foreign pension arrangements, state pensions, things like that. So any sort of that actually is providing for you, you know, is is it like a quasi type of trust relationship. And if it's not a qualifying super fund, uh, you know, as Australia got rid of its PIF rules and, uh, you know, all of that and introduced the AMIT and the MIT regime. So unless what we're dealing with falls into one of those buckets from a trust management type of perspective, then there's every chance that the ATA will say, well, we don't know what it is, so 99B applies. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a very good point. So that even if you have clients with parents in countries where they don't know the concept of a trust, even then you run the risk of 99B if the parents, for example, have entitlements from their pension fund. So if the pension is a a pension that pays out something at their death. It's not just a pure ongoing pension, but it actually pays out a lump sum at the end. Then, and that goes to the heirs. Then, yeah, you run the risk of Section 99B as well. That's a very good point. And a good example of that's inheritance tax type of planning in you know France, Belgium, Germany. You know where parents often gift a piece of property down, but then sort of become some kind of life interest or beneficiary of that prop property whilst they're alive, it's not formally documented, but it, it certainly looks and feels like a trust relationship. When those things are in place, it might be that the beneficiary, there might be 10 grandkids, for example, and one of them comes to Australia and then you know, gets their distribution from from that arrangement. And then how is it, how is it assessed? You know, because it's not you know, say 99B just sort of overlays over the top of that and says, okay, well, because, you know, when the definition of a trust estate's do you mind if I just quickly go back to that? You actually raise a very interesting point about this life interest and inheritance tax. You're right. Very often in countries where there is inheritance tax, very often the parents transfer usually their main residence, their main residence already to the children before their death to avoid inheritance tax, but then re remain a life interest. And I don't know whether you, is, is that a life interest if they have the right to live in that property and to basically 
collect rent or do anything as if they were still the owner while they are still alive. Is that that's a life interest, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Would you then have a trust there if the children already own the property, but the parents have a life interest and then this life interest ends when they die? Then I don't think you have a Section 99B issue because the children are already the legal owners of this property. Or does that create a Section 99B problem? Before Darren answers this question, here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. Last year, our accounting firm was hacked. Okay, I'm going to admit it. My password was password. I thought about going back to old school paperwork, but then I heard about DocuSign. It has the highest global security standards with round-the-clock activity tracking, keeping digital agreements confidential. So now we're on DocuSign and no one's cracking my password. And no, it's not one, two, three, four. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Does that create a Section 99B problem? Only if the parent, let's say the kids are overseas and the parents decide that they want to retire, you know, and live in Australia or something, to you know, just trying to get a, a handle on that. It's not just the common Commonwealth countries that, you know, potentially exposed to 99B. So if you have that interest, right, we have a, actually, I'm sure there was a client. This is uh, probably going to be edited out anyway, but they got shares. Did I say this point? Yeah. They, would, they, they got the beneficial entitlement to shares, but the parents remained the legal owner. And it was a shares rule in Europe, in sort of private companies over there. And the relevant companies were doing dividend reinvestment programs on the dividend. So the Australian resident beneficiary would get just a piece of paper that said 100,000 euros dividend reinvestment and that was kind of the end of it. There was no foreign taxes paid, there was no anything and we had to, had to ask what, what what was going on and because of, I think it was Belgium and so there's no trusts as I understand it in under sort of Belgium sort of like we understand trusts. We had to look at 99B. Any, any sort of you know fund or product there's a, a foreign trustee right so it could be foreign capital bond life insurance bond that's got really just the person owns those equities right but there's a, a manager or a trustee that manages the portfolio you know the isle of man for example we see a lot with these offshore bonds that's effectively a 99b trust at the heart of it given it's a third-party trustee managing that that wrapper and as you know darren said we've had cases with the commissioner where we've sort of you know, gone back and forth. Is it in 99B land or is it more sort of a bear trust arrangement where it's the asset of the individuals, which is obviously for the Australian resident a far better tax outcome if it's an asset they own personally because they get capital gains treatment as opposed to, to 99B. In your example, the legal owner was overseas and the beneficial owner was in Australia. And then, yes, I agree with you, it's a Section 99B issue. But if the legal owner is in Australia and the beneficial owner is overseas, as for example in a house when the children already receive it as a gift to avoid inheritance tax and the parents still live in the house, then I don't think it's Section 99B because the legal owner is in Australia and the beneficial owner is overseas, correct? Yeah, it'd be yeah, correct. You're talking about different issues like in terms of the main residence exemption when, you know, if that's going to apply, if it's in a trust as well. But um, 
It's probably a separate issue for another day. Yeah, it probably wouldn't qualify as main residence anyway because the legal owner is not living in it. The parents yeah. are living in it. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. main residence on a life interest anyway. <laughs> the 50% CGT discount only applies to residents. It doesn't apply to foreign residents, correct? Correct. So if a foreign resident receives, for example, a capital gain from TAP, then that foreign resident wouldn't receive a, a 50% CGT discount. Actually, I should hand over to you so that you can explain this in a more structured way. Yeah, that's right. If you have an Australian trust effectively owning non-TAP assets, say just say some foreign overseas shares, right? And the Australian trust was to sell those shares and distribute that gain to an Australian resident beneficiary, that the trust and the resident beneficiary would both be entitled to the 50% discount to reduce the gain by half. But yeah, a non-resident beneficiary would, would not get the 50% discount. But effectively, that treatment is very different to say we've got a foreign trust under 99B distributing those same shares to an Australian resident beneficiary. In in that case, under 99B, that foreign trust would not get the discount capital gain. So the Australian resident beneficiary is paying up to 47% on that same distribution, holding the same the same assets. And there was a, a recent determination, uh, TD 2017-24, I think it was, that basically came out and confirmed that and said that effectively a, a foreign trust under 99B does not get that discount capital gain or can't utilise capital losses, which is very different to the situation where an Australian trust holds the same assets and does get that discount capital gain, assuming that gain is distributed to an Australian resident beneficiary. Okay, good. So 99B doesn't get a CGT discount and doesn't get the offset with capital losses. But if you put 99B aside and just look at normal trust distributions, if you have a resident trust and resident beneficiary, you get the discount. Does it only matter that the beneficiary is a resident or does the trust also need to be a resident? So meaning if you have a foreign trust, can a resident qualify for the 50% CGT discount when the capital gain comes from a foreign trust. So whose residency matter? Is it just the beneficiary or is it also the trust? And does it matter whether it's TAP or non-TAP? Yeah, good, good questions. We'll go through those one at a time. Yeah, so it does matter. So to get capital gains discount, both the trust and beneficiary need to be Australian residents. So the, the trust itself would need to be an Australian resident trust and also the beneficiary would need to be an Australian resident beneficiary as well of that Australian trust to get that discount capital gain. In a situation the other way around where you've got a foreign trust, an Australian resident beneficiary, the Australian resident beneficiary would not get the discount capital gain. Okay. And it doesn't matter whether it's tap or non-tap. That doesn't matter. Only the residency of the beneficiary and the residency of the trust matter. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, non-residents really get taxed heavily on owning Australian property. You know, for example, if they were to buy an Australian property and not live in Australia or not reside in Australia, they would pay up to 45% on any sale of Australian property because they would not get discount capital gain. Yeah. And then you contrast that situation to an Australian resident. You know, if they live in the home, obviously it's exempt under the main residence exemption. But if it was an investment property, they would get a discount capital gain. So they'd pay 23.5% effective tax as opposed to the 47% the non resident would pay. And for 99B, 
the discount doesn't apply and the capital losses don't apply, not because of any specific roots around the discount or the capital losses, but just because 99B is not capital income and hence it's in a completely different bucket, correct? Yeah, it's a hypothetical situation. It's a complete deeming provision. So it's the only time in sort of trust law where the character of the income is changed under statute. Ordinarily, for trust purposes, your character of your income is maintained through the trust to the beneficiaries in ordinary circumstances. That's why, you know, resident, resident, capital gain goes through. But if 99B applies, it's a complete hypothetical. So it's like as if the taxpayer was a resident. And because it's not capital income, as you say, or it's not the character of the income, not uh, the character of the receipts, not capital then yeah, you can't apply any of the concessions or even if there's a bucket of capital losses available from prior years, it just you can't use them on a 99B amount, an amount for under 99B. You, you just said 99B is the only hypothetical income that actually changes the type of income. And you're right, for example, Division 7A dividends, they don't change. No. Like, yeah, you could. they don't really change their type of income. But 100A for example, could change the type of income if the um, reimbursement agreement was respect to... No, just cancels, no, the, doesn't just cancels the reimbursement, just says the, you know, the circularity is killed at A level and, you know, the trustees assessed usually. The, 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 whoever you're trying okay. presently entitled doesn't get that present entitlement and it goes up the chain. But whether it's income or capital isn't affected. It's the re arrangement that's denied. Whereas 99B says we, we don't actually care if it's income or capital because whatever it is, is gaining your assessable income as if you were a resident taxpayer. So you've got a, a fiction that's created under 99B which denies the original character of the payment or ignores the original character of the payment and just says that amount is yours. Okay, good. So your comment stands and it stands as being correct that Section 99B is the only one that changes the type of hypothetical income, you know, that changes the type of type of income. I, I guess it doesn't maintain the character of the income that's that's been received or the amount that's been received. So whether a person received accumulated dividends or a capital gain from the sale of shares that was accumulated into a trust, that's effectively ignored for 99B purposes. And if it's a million, it's just a million that goes in and it's not able to be discounted, set off or anything uh, by any other provisions because it's, it's not maintained its character. Bradley Murphy and Darren Kessler of Murphy Tax in Sydney. So the 50% CGT discount only applies if both the trust and the beneficiary receiving the capital gain are Australian tax residents. So the door has to be open at the trust, being a resident trust, and the door has to be open for the beneficiary being an Australian resident for the CGT discount to come through both doors. And this applies whether the capital gain is from TAP or non-TAP. So it doesn't matter whether it's TAP or non-TAP. Section 99B is only an issue if a foreign trust 
distributes accumulated income to a resident beneficiary. If a foreign trust distributes current income to resident beneficiaries, it gets called by Section 97 anyway. So you don't need Section 99B. So Section 99B is mainly about accumulated income. But of course, I've been scared of saying always, you know, so never say never. And when your Australian clients are the legal owners of their parents' family homes overseas with the parents holding a life interest in that home, as you often see when your clients try to manage overseas inheritance tax. If that is the setup, then you don't really need to worry about Section 99B because your Australian clients are the legal owners and the beneficiaries are overseas. Section 99B is really an issue when it's the other way around, when you have the beneficiaries in Australia, but the legal owners are overseas. And then, of course, you have a foreign trust. So this was about applying Section 99B. In the next episode, episode 408, Bradley Murphy and Darren Castle will talk with you about the Section 99B carve-outs and go back to the central question of corpus. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.